I'm your host, Lee W. Johnson, and welcome to my podcast, where I talk about all things related to magic, witchcraft, demonolatry, and a whole load of other related things. If you would like to find out more about me, get in touch with me, or hire me for a service, please go to my website, leewjohnson.com, or check out my link tree in the description of this podcast. Welcome to my new thing, The Crossroads. Um, this is hopefully while I get to interview or chat to really um, various people who have written books and such things. And today, for the first time, I have Ambrosia. How are you? Hello. <laughs> All right, so Ambrosia wrote Ambrosia's Book of Witch Flight, which is absolutely brilliant book. Um, if anybody wants to get into journey work, um, witch flight, uh, and such things, this is an amazing book for a variety of reasons. Um, and I think one of them, which I'd like to start with, is the, you met, actually mentioned it in the beginning, is the aspect of UPG, Unverified Personal Gnosis, which a lot of people shy away from usually and yeah yeah and i think it's you also mentioned it, i think it's something that a lot of people need to actually start bringing into the community into writing and such um the biggest problem is a lot of people kind of write about upg and they don't say it's upg you have which yeah. i think is brilliant yeah how do you feel about? um so you know, this book was very much a work of like kind of making a pact with a familiar spirit of mine. I don't really consider myself an academic, nor do I really want to like poise myself as an academic. Like I have some, you know, I think Keldon Mercury's uh, The Witch's Sabbath is a wonderful academic source if people are interested in a more academic approach to witch flight. And I think that Kobe Michaels' The Poison Path is a wonderful, you know, academic work about using poisonous herbs in their practice. Um, but I'm not an academic. I'm just a witch. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just a witch. And so when I started working with this familiar spirit that I was pacted with at our coven's ritual, and when she asked of me to write this book, like, I thought there must have been a, some sort of mistake. Surely, because... I'm not an author, like I've never written a book before. I've reviewed books, you know, and I like vlog and I do other stuff, but I'm not really an author. So I thought there had to have been some sort of mistake. And I mean, she really wanted me to write this book um, with, with her help. And in terms of like UPG, Unverified Personal Gnosis, um, I recently talked about this because I saw this on another content creator's channel where they were talking about UPG, SPG, mm. and um, ZPG, as in like unverified personal gnosis, shared personal gnosis, and like verified personal gnosis. Um, and I think that unverified personal gnosis as a whole has kind of become like this boogeyman buzzword mm. because either people don't, 
disclose that it's UPG and they just try to make it out to be like this is verifiable fact historically or folklorically without disclosing that, which I don't agree with. And that's why I was very forthcoming in my book that this is not the butch the this is not the book of witch flight. This is my book of witch flight. Mm. And it's a hundred percent my own UPG. Um however since I've published it, because I released it um, on the Sabbath of the first harvest, so it's been just a little bit over a month now, I'm finding that many practitioners um, from my area, but also from even out of the country, it's actually, some of it is SPG. It's a shared personal gnosis. I'm not really sure what separates shared personal gnosis from verified. Like, I'm not sure if it's just the test of time, right? Like, does that, does that, make it verified because like i feel like shared personal gnosis is common amongst witches of the same tradition like if you're in a coven you're probably going to have shared personal gnosis with other witches you're practicing with mm. um but verified personal gnosis like what what makes it verified i don't know if i really even subscribe to that idea as a witch that's in like a neo tradition mm, that's, um that's usually i mean when we look at all those those various terms, we have the UPG, which is one person who goes and receives some certain information from spirits and then brings it back and discusses it. But then you find that a group of people will then go and experiment with that and also experience the same thing, get the same information. Then you have people in various places who are doing something which is completely disconnected and they all have the same experience. So we have this kind of going from one person and then going through. But we also have um, what's called MUS, M-U-S, uh, which is usually called made up okay. shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I think we actually, we tend to get a lot of that in uh, writing and such, um, you know, people just making up a load of rubbish and just putting it out there and saying that it's, you know... It well, I fans. think that comes from this too, right? And this is kind of my controversial opinion, but personally, as someone who reads occult literature, um, it to me, it, it gets a little boring when I'm reading the same mm. books of just regurgitated information from the 90s, mm. right? Like Scott Cunningham, cool. You know what I mean? Cool. Raven Gramasi, wonderful, right? But do we need to keep regurgitating the exact same information mm -hmm. from the 90s? We're in 2023 at this current point in time. And I think that the modern witchcraft revival movement would benefit greatly, actually, from more witches putting out their own UPG and feeding into the revival movement through that, because that's how tradition and craft, in my opinion, is really going to, to grow. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Totally agree. Now, um, concerning the actual information in your book, um, is this something you do personally or with your coven? Is it is it shared in that sense? It's definitely both. Hmm. It's definitely both. Um, Which flight is something that I started doing in my personal practice before I even, honestly, before I even really knew I was a witch. I was flying. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that or have that terminology at the time, but I believe that I was flying before I even knew mm. what flying was. Um, 
and as far as a coven goes, it is also something that we do um, ceremonially and like group practice, whether it be when we're in person um, for a Sabbath or a Sabbath, or um, even when we're not physically in person, but at the same anointed times. Mm. We've also had experiences of um, flying out to the same place for a similar intention and then kind of cataloging our experiences and then cross comparing mm. everyone's gnosis. Um, and for anyone who might be listening to this, if, if you have a group of friends or if you are in a coven, I highly recommend kind of treating witch flight also as like a psychic exercise because I think it can be really connecting for different practitioners who, you know, maybe have like one main goal of like, let's meet up here in the hollowed woods, but like keep everything else kind of open-ended and just see what different practitioners experience. And then put all of that gnosis together and see what overlaps. Because I think that can be really powerful. Mm. And I think I think what's actually really interesting also is how uh, the, all the, the various different ways we can actually approach this. Um, I mean, your approach <laughs> is great. I love the the idea the the use of the mirror, um, and the uh, was it the the forest wards tree wards? Did I get that? Yeah, tree wards. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, uh, that's just... a very like Appalachian. The the tree mm. wards is something that I would I would love to see more um, witches make content on as well. But it's it's a very like Appalachian folkloric witch kind of notion of like sending your spirit through the through the tree wards. Yeah, it looks so. Um, but I was I was just thinking now. Um, I mean, this is going twenty twenty five years back. Um, and this was very experimental at the state at that stage um, because we didn't have video like this, and I've spoken about it on my lives with that I do with Rev Kai. But we we were both brought into an online coven, um, and as I said, very experimental at the stage. We only really had email, so we used to yeah. we used to take these journeys. Um, we used to like immerse ourselves into the journey, and a ritual would take a week. You know, so it would be passing back and yeah. forth and experience it in the astral time and physical time at the same time. Um, it's just fascinating all the different various ways we can approach the, the witch flight and the journey work going to the Sabbaths. Um, yeah, it's amazing, I think. Um, and I really wanted to call it witch flight specifically um, because in my early 20s, I worked in a metaphysical store. Um, and in my work at that metaphysical store, in order to kind of go from just retail worker to reader, they wanted us to take specific courses and classes. And one of the courses that we had to take in order to make that transition um, was by a very infamous person, more so I would say in like the, the Oracle card tarot community. Um, I won't name her name, but it goes something along along the lines of virtue. Oh, yeah. um, and she no longer, you know, participates in that particular aspect. She's moved on to a different field. But astral travel, astral projection, shamanic journeying was something that in my early 20s, I just wanted to be a tarot reader. <laughs> but the metaphysical store was like, no, you have to take these classes. And so I did. I did. And it, it caught my attention then, but I'm just not a new age practitioner. Um, and 
you know, then and then also in the past couple years when I've looked online at trying to find books out there from a more trad witch perspective, I couldn't find anything. Um, a lot of the books I was finding were more so from the new age perspective of astral travel. And personally, I'm not a new age practitioner. I mean, working with like chakras and crystals and white Jesus is not my practice. It's just not my practice. Um, and so I wanted to call it witch flight to separate it a little bit and give it more of a traditional witch flair mm. as opposed to calling it like astral travel. But I do think that witch flight and astral travel and astral projection, I won't speak on shamanic journeying because I don't feel like I'm qualified to, but I think that these terms are in a way synonymous. But I think that calling it witch flight gives it a specific perspective mm. that like my book is coming from, right? Because it's Ambrosia's book of witch flight. Mm. I'm not trying to act like it's the one and only book of witch flight or even an educational book. It's filled with my personal journal entries, my recipes, my prayers and rituals, and my library spiritual. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's the other. Uh, the book's just interesting, but I think that's the other interesting aspect is the the actual worlds and the spirits that you interact with. Um, now, I find a lot of people have this idea that there has to be one specific truth out there, and there yeah. cannot be. Um, I mean, the worlds yeah. you, you go to, the spirits you interact with are completely different to what I, 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 I experience, um, yet mm -hmm. I can go to your world and experience those spirits if I wish to. Um, and it doesn't make one better than the other or one more real than the other, it's just you know, it's five-dimensional space, it's the astral world, it's immense, it's, it's you know, it's just never-ending. So everybody can yeah. have different experiences, but at the same time, groups can have the same experience, which just makes it more real at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, one of the, one of the, well, a couple of the um, Witch Sabbath experiences I've had um, through sleep, through dreaming, <laughs> The, the one that actually sticks out the most is when I ended up at a house party. Um, it was just this huge big house of thousands of people. It was like chock-a-block. Just everybody's just partying and drinking and taking drugs. And there was one guy who was like the leader. And that was the devil. Um, but it wasn't anything to do with the forest. It was a house party. <laughs> Which just makes it yeah. completely strange, yeah. Yeah. But your hallowed, hallowed woods are... Very familiar. I have to put it that way. Well, I was going to say, I feel like the Hollowed Woods in particular, um, through like our coven, even has has been something that like a lot of us would consider SPG, not just mm. UPG. Like maybe some witches out there have not encountered the Hollowed Woods, then that's mm. doesn't make anyone less of a witch necessarily. But there's quite a few witches I know who we've all encountered this hollowed wood um, and we've all encountered the witch council mm. yeah the hollowed wood is definitely one of those um, places that are, are quite familiar to a lot of witches I think um, but I think what what we should also mention is that the the four worlds um, can I call them that the four worlds um, 
the the gates, yeah. the the watchtowers and the gates, yeah. and the gateways. Um, the names you used are not familiar, but no, actually no. Let me let me put this differently. The names are not may not be known to to everybody, but the names feel familiar. If that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah, yeah. I've I've gotten that same um, sort of feedback from it. I will say that the Hollywood Woods specifically, the way that I perceive it, if we were going to talk about world building, because I think that it's it's kind of helpful for those of you who are familiar with like Dungeons and Dragons for us to kind of talk about it from like, that nerdy sort of world building perspective to kind of just put it in context. When I look at the other world, from what I've seen thus far, I see the hollowed woods very much as this place of spirit and this ever-changing landscape of like different species of trees that wouldn't usually make sense to be in the same woodland. Um, kind of as this swirling misty mass in the middle. And then I see the watchtowers and the cardinal directions from the woods that then lead to the kingdoms and then and then the realms, like the northern realm, the eastern realm, but then the kingdoms of those realms, um, like Grydel, Asalia, uh, Dokar, Mitni, I see those as kingdoms, which the Watchtowers was something that I've only explored really in my personal practice um, in the past year. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we find it, I mean, when we, when we talk about the Watchtowers, um, you know, as being those guardian spirits and the actual places that we enter, the gateways that we enter through, um, we find it in, not just in witchcraft, it's in ceremonial magic, it's in Freemasonry, it, it's, it, I mean, yeah. it extends way, way back. Um, so there's a, a lot of energy that's built up around that, that concept to begin with. So, yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, the uh, Libra Spiritus loved it. Yeah. And I've got to say, there were, there, there were two in there, Whoopsie Daisy and Oopsie Daisy, I absolutely loved. They actually reminded me a lot yeah. of, of Vinegar Tom, um, which was a familiar spirit from, I uh -huh. can't remember who now, uh, during the witch trials. But, uh, you know, yeah. they had all those, they, those, those types of names as well, so I love the names. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> I'll have to go talk to some of these spirits at some stage. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else you, you, you would like to mention? Um, I don't know. Just that, like, I really hope that more, um, you know, witches, more trad witches really put their own UPG out there. I think it's really beneficial and i know that it can be scary because of how people react to upg sometimes but i think it's really beneficial to like the modern witchcraft revival movement for more witches to be really putting their soul into their work and sharing it as a bard because i think that's how traditions are going to grow um and without that i think that we're going to just keep having literature of the same regurgitated work mm. over and over and over again and that work is amazing, but how many times do we need to retell it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I wasn't meaning on making these too long, so uh, I think uh, that's it. Um, oh, have you got the book, by the way? I forgot to ask you at the beginning. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> right here. All right, there we go. 
Uh, I think what and I'll do. And it's available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. Okay, that's great. All right. Uh, what I'll do, I'll actually put a link to actually send me all your links, and I'll put them in the description. Um, and I'll put a, a. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it, and I'm honored pleasure. that you took the time to read my work and interview me. That's an absolute pleasure. It was a fantastic book, and you're a lovely person. So. Uh, Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Thank you for joining me and speaking to me and everybody else. Thank you for having me. All right, pleasure. Okay, bye-bye, everybody. I'll see you next time. Bye. Welcome to the Ask Lee segment of my channel. And if you have any questions regarding magic, spirituality, witchcraft, demonolatry, the occult, whatever it may be, then all you have to do is drop it into the comments of any of the Ask Lee videos, and I will add it to queue. And I do these every Wednesday, so just look out for your questions. Welcome back. All right. Uh, before I start, um, this coming Sunday at 3 p.m. GMT or UCT, um, I'm doing the cauldron. Um, if anybody caught my previous um, healing half hour lives, it's basically going to be that. I'm just renamed it to the cauldron. Um, so if you want to tune in then it's a live stream you can join me in the chat you can ask questions about healing uh, energy healing specifically um, and then what i'll do i'll do what i used to do then um, if nobody's familiar with it basically what happens is i uh, do spontaneous singing and um, use vibration and sound and things like that uh, for healing um, so all you have to do is sit back, uh, good idea to put some headphones on or some earphones, earpods or whatever, um, so you get the full, full uh, effect of the vibrational state and etc, etc, etc. And then I just make funny noises and make funny sounds. Okay, so <laughs> if you want to join me for that, uh, that's on Sunday at 3pm GMT. Um, and I'll do it, I'll do it once a month, it'll be every third Sunday of the month um, and then every first Sunday I'm going to be continuing with the Covenstead just a general uh, chat on on the Covenstead um, ask your questions come along discuss something no specific topic uh, will be assigned for that all right so let's get into today's question um, today is probably just going to revolve around this question which is uh, about Baphomet it's from Neon Knight. Uh, would you consider making a video about Baphomet? Of course. Um, he's so interesting and also plays a role in demonolatry, like in the Baphometic fire baptism. As far as I know, through my research, the origins of the name word Baphomet aren't really clear, and there's a lot of different information and theories out there. I also wonder if he could be an egregore. Uh, would really love your take on this. Don't know if this fits into an Ask Lee episode or if it would be a big enough topic for a Monday Musing. I'll just do it today. Just 
uh, an ask Lee. It's an ask Lee question, so I'll fit it into an ask Lee video. All right. Um, so when it comes to the Baphomet, as you said, there's a lot of um, theories and speculations um, around the Baphomet. Um, I think the two main areas um, we, we, we can possibly look at are the Knights Templar and uh, Eliphas Levy. So unfortunately, when it comes to the Knights Templar and their um, association with the Baphomet, um, there's no proof of it. It purely is all speculation, but it was believed that they worshipped an idol. It was actually a head. Um, I've, I have uh, seen mention of it being a helmet or um, a mask, um, so, but it's some kind of head that they worshipped as an idol and they called it the Baphomet or the Baphomet. Um, this it has been said that, that in, in terms of the Knights Templar and the worship of the idol of the Baphomet, it um, actually was the name Muhammad in, as it's said in French, a um, bit of a mistranslation, misunderstanding, things like that. The difficulty there is there's no proof. There's no evidence of um, a head that was worshipped as an idol, a Baphomet or whatever. Just no evidence of it, nothing found. So purely speculation. So I think our main source for the Baphomet would be Eliphas Levy. And I'll put a picture up. I'm just going to show what I've got here. So you know what I'm talking about. It's that there. All right. Um, so I'm going to talk from my own understanding, my own gnosis, my own perspective on what the Baphomet is. So it is goat, goat headed. Um, it does refer to the goat of Mendes. It's the Sabbatic goat. Um, so in witchcraft, it's the goat of the Sabbath. Okay, it's the devil at the... Um, we had uh, uh, Jasmine Ambrosia on this uh, past Monday. So it's the, the devil at the Hallowed Woods uh, would be the reference there. Um, but it's when you, when you fly, when you take witch flight, when you do a journey to um, the woods in which you meet the devil and there's a congregation of witches uh, and other creatures uh, during the witches' Sabbath. Um, but anyway, all right, so going on. So the Baphomet in this depiction is goat-headed and also um, cloven-hooved, so goat-footed. Um, so that's the Baphomet and also horned. Uh, has the horns of a goat. Between the horns is a flame. This is in very much reference to the Lucifer, the light bringer. Um, you know, the, the background I came from and specifically um, how I moved through traditional witchcraft was that the light bringer in the east is horned with a flame betwixt the horns. And that flame betwixt the horns is the illumination of the path. Um, so it illuminates your path. Um, it is the bringer of gnosis, the knowledge. Um, so it is the light bringer or the light bearer, the light being the gnosis or the knowledge that it brings. Um, on the forehead is a pentagram. Pentagrams are very, very old since called symbol and it, it represents many, many, many things. Um, you know, it's the five elements, 
in in a lot of modern interpretations it's the five elements um, and you know when we talk about the five elements we often think of them as being physical elements and when we come to spirit we think of it as being the soul and I think there's a lot more to that than just the physical elements it can represent physical elements obviously but there are these are the esoteric element elements the um, occult elements um, they're not just the physical and when we talk about spirit or the ether um, you know we find this in, in Crowley's work um, every every man and woman is a star um, but that sort of comes from Plato um, where he considered the stars in the cosmos to be made up of a fifth element which was ether um, and then related that back to the consciousness of a person being made up of the same thing and the consciousness being the soul um, and things like that so it's made up of the same substance which makes every man and woman a star all right um, so the yeah the pentagram can be interpreted in many many ways the main thing about the baphomet is the balance of all things um, again coming back to the horns and the flame betwixt the horns the horns are usually considered or often considered to be um, the opposing forces and then they are brought into balance by the gnosis by the knowledge um, and then we find um, the balance of masculine and feminine the baphomet um, the baphomet has um, feminine breasts um, is kind of masculine but i think the important part here is the caduceus in the lap um, i'm not sure if it's just because he couldn't uh, draw an erect penis or you know because of the times and things like that it might have been seen as a bit pornographic um, but and maybe this is my own interpretation um, the caduceus is a very old symbol it goes back to 3000 4000 BC um, from Mesopotamia and the the, the two entwined snakes um, around a staff um, but the caduceus is a very um, phallic symbol um, it was carried by Hermes and Hermes was the father of Pan and Pan was very much a fertility god. And I actually see the Baphomet as being Pan. Um, when, we, when we consider Pan, there are two interpretations of the name Pan. One means all, um, all being everything, which is very much in relation to the Baphomet. The other one is Shepherd. Um, it's believed that the original um, word Pan um, actually um, was or, or translates to shepherd later on it, it started being translated the Greek word pan from or, or into all um, so there's a bit of a, a difference there but at the same time you know that's what we've come to know pan as being the all the all begetter um, sorry I'm going off track the caduceus so Hermes is the father of Pan. Pan is the all. Pan is very much a, a fertility spirit, a, a guardian of the of the wild uh, animals, the forests and things like that. The shepherd. Um, 
but in terms of the fertility aspect, uh, Pan is usually seen with a large erect phallus. And that comes back to the caduceus in the lap of the Baphomet. Um, and then we have, so we've got the balance of the masculine and feminine there. Then we have the, um, the, the quarter moon or the slice of the moon um, in white above and, and black below, again, bringing the dark and the light aspects into union, into balance. We have on Baphomet's arms, Solve and Coagula. So that's Solve et Coagula. Uh, now, Solve et Coagula translates to to dissolve and coagulate. And this is to break a substance down to its basic elements before you reform it um, into something new. So Solve et Coagula is quite an important process in the magical paths. Um, you kind of break yourself down and then from that you can then build up something new and this is very much you know included in initiate initiatory um, systems and paths and experiences is where we are broken down and then we build ourselves up um, this can also be seen uh, very much in the dark night of the soul so uh, you've got that breaking down and building up again then we have um, the various um, animal representations. So if you have a look at the caduceus, just behind the caduceus is, it's either um, serpentine or it's fish. Not quite sure there. It could be both. It could be a representation of both. So we have reptilian and we have um, the fish. Um, aspect. We have the wings, which is um, avian. Um, we have the goat, which is the the earth. So we have all the different um, all the different types of animals in here. We have the aerial animals, um, the birds in the sky. We have the the serpentine and or the fish, uh, which is watery. Uh, we have the goat, which is earthy. So again, we're bringing in all the elements. We've got the flame betwixt the horns, which is fire. Um, so, you know, just this one symbol brings everything into union, everything into balance, everything into equilibrium. Um, it, it covers practically everything. You can look at this and you can find all different aspects um, of the elements, of the, of the animals, um, of the masculine and the feminine, the dark and the light. Um, it's just, it's all in there. And this is very much why I consider well, my inter own interpretation of Baphomet is Pan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Pan, is, Pan isn't represented exactly like this, but it covers that aspect of being the all, um, the all consciousness, all, all, ooh, all consciousness. And, you know, if we then start talking about consciousness, we could bring Shiva into this. And I know Shiva, um, there's some speculation whether Shiva is the horned deity or not. But if we consider the um, phallic aspect of Shiva, the linga, um, then, you know, the, the rod, which is the, the will tree, um, you know, it, it's, it's the axis mundi. And therefore, we then come back to the all, and then we have uh, Shiva being the consciousness, con consciousness, I cannot say that word today, consciousness, um, 
therefore we come back again to Japan and all of these things start relating uh, in one way or another. Um, I am, just warning, I am quite soft polytheistic. Um, so I do kind of find these bridges between the different deities, the different cultures, pantheons and things like that. So, you know, forgive me for that. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I think that covers most of the symbolism. I mean, you can, you can meditate on the Baphomet and find tons and tons of representations and symbolisms um, and go deeper into it. Um, there is a great paper that was written by the, I'm probably going to say this very wrong, the Universität or Tight Universität of Fun Amsterdam. Um, so the Amsterdam University. Um, if you go onto Google and just put in Baphomet Levy, it should come up with this um, paper from the Amsterdam University. Uh, it's a great paper on the Baphomet. It examines the symbolism from uh, Levy, Levy's perspective. So you might want to have a go, go and have a look at that as well. All right. So I just wanted to cover that one today. Uh, and then we'll get on to more questions next week. Okay, and don't forget uh, this Sunday, the Cauldron uh, Healing live stream. Uh, if you want to just sit back, relax, put your headphones on and listen to me make funny noises, which everybody loves. So that's what I'm doing in the game. I was asked uh, what happened to the healing half hour. So I'm going to bring it back again. Okay. Until then, I'll see you around, and uh, I'll see you next week for more Ask Lee. Cheers for now. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by, well, myself, Lee W. Johnson. To find out more about me, please visit my website at leewjohnson.com or check out my link tree in the description of this podcast. If you like the video format, then subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's me for this week. Hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.